As many of you have probably guessed by now, um, I'm not Kevin Berthium. Um, so I know, I know I look exactly like him right now. Um, so the Berthiums, uh, I think Kevin announced this last week, uh, he, they're currently at True for Youth. Um, so they're currently gone. Um, I forgot where the camp is exactly, but they'll be back on Tuesday. Um, and then uh, next week, though, uh, Kevin and me will be gone. And so luckily Rob is going to step in and cover and teach next Sunday. But you have me today, so I hope you uh, enjoy that. Uh, so Kevin has been talking through uh, John. Um, we're taking a break from John um, for the next couple weeks. But uh, previously, he just finished John 17. It's, uh, it's often titled in your Bible, the High Priestly Prayer. And really throughout that, uh, last week especially, uh, Jesus was praying for all believers, right? So first Jesus prayed for himself then Jesus prayed for his disciples, and then Jesus prayed for all believers. And he ends that with this uh, really big theme of unity in the church, uh, with love, how the love in the church is going to unite the church. And I just want to let you guys know that uh, for me and Rachel, as we came here, that was something we noticed right away, was that this church is a church that loves its members, that um, uh, just welcomed us with open arms, and it was just, for us, it was a great thing. We love, we love that. We just felt loved right away, and we want to thank you guys for that. And Kevin um, asked me to teach this weekend, and one of the hardest things about when somebody asks you to teach is you have to ask yourself, well, what are you going to teach on? Um, I, of course, asked him that, but he said, you know, teach on whatever. And that actually, I think that's the most difficult thing you can do to somebody is say, I want you to teach but you can teach on whatever you want. I have given you no parameters. Um, it makes me think there was this experiment done a long time ago with um, kids. They noticed that kids were in this playground and that they were always playing around the edge, around the fence. And so they thought, well, I want, maybe they just felt like trapped. So they decided to take the fence away because was sa- it was safe. They could expand it. So they took the fence away. So now the playground had no fence. But now all the kids played right in the middle of it because they didn't know like... Instead of feeling freer, they actually felt more like, oh, we don't know our boundaries, so now we're like all huddled in the middle. And that oftentimes happens here, right? It's easier when somebody tells you, okay, you're teaching on this. Like going through Genesis Bible study, I knew exactly what chapters I was covering. I knew exactly what to prepare for. Um, but coming here, you know, I have to think, okay, what am I going to teach on? What am, what, uh, am I going to do? Which usually means I default to one of my, whatever my favorite passages, and that's what we're going to go over today, is one of my favorite parables, which is the parable of the talents. Um, it's found in Matthew 25, uh, as you can see on the screen. Um, but why this is one of my favorite parables is that it really lines up really well with how I've seen God work in my life. Um, I've, I often say that the parable of talents is like my testimony. That If you want to know what my testimony is, it is the parable of talents, and you'll see why. I'll talk through that. Um, but also, I felt like this was appropriate because while we have gotten to spend many meals with many of you and play games with many of you, um, and we have shared little bits and details of our story to many of you, I don't think we've ever had a chance to really like come and tell the whole church or be like, this is, this is our testimony. This is how God has called God us from A to B. Um, and so that's what I feel like it would be great to do today. So that way you guys can... 
Uh, even though I've been here for almost a year, you can really get to know me on that level. Um, and don't worry, Rachel's in this too, because obviously she's a big part of my life. But with all that said, let's jump into our passage for today, Matthew twenty-five fourteen to 30. It says, For it will be like a man going on a journey, who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. He also who had received the one talent came forward, saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scattered no seed. So I was afraid, and I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here, here you have what is yours. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gather where I scattered no seed. Then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. Let's pray. God, just pray as we come to today to study your word, that we'll come with hearts open and ears open to hear what you have for us. I pray that... Um, that you will be speaking through me, that these words will not be my own, um, but that the Holy Spirit inside of me will be um, just teaching out of that. God, we thank you so much for, again, for giving us a chance to come together and learn more about you and learn more about how you love us. In your name, amen. And so if you've come to any of the Genesis studies while I was teaching, you probably heard, uh, I, I said this a lot, but I, I'll say it again, that I love stories. Now, I know that that sounds weird because most people love stories. Um, but when I say I love stories, I, I say it because I say that I'm a story nerd, right? It's not just the love of stories. I love to know how do stories work? What makes them work? Why do they work? You know, I like learning about story structures and all the different character archetypes and all that stuff. Um, so when I went to uni, I graduated with a film degree. And most of the... What, what I wanted to do was be a writer-director, so that meant I really needed to know how, how to make a good story and how to tell a good story. So when I read something like this, uh, which is a parable, which is just a story, uh, it makes me want to look at it through that lens. Like, okay, well, how did Jesus formulate the story? What are the elements of it? Um, and so every story is made up of a few different things. Um, I've 
uh, because of my love of story, I've actually had chances to share like how to tell a story and stuff with fellow missionaries at different conferences. Um, and usually a story is, can be broken down to a very simple thing. Uh, there's essentially three elements. You have usually a character, or it could be main characters. There's usually an objective they're trying to get, and there has to be some kind of conflict. You have to have all three things to make a story. You can't have one thing without the other. If you have the character and just the objective but no conflict, then nothing happens. They just, they just complete it, and the story is, that's not a story. If you have a main character but in conflict but no object, then there's no point for what the character is doing. And obviously, if you have no character, then there's not much to read about or look at. So um, breaking that thought down, we can uh, see real quickly uh, the setup of this, of this is that we have our characters. Well, we have four characters. We have the owner and the three servants. Um, now, quickly, we see that the three servants are going to be the main characters of this story because the owner is going to go away, and it's, we're going to follow what do the three servants do. Um, and because it's a parable, we know that Jesus is trying to share some spiritual truths through this, right? Jesus often used parables to try to share a spiritual truth, whether it's um, about how to live or about the future kingdom. He's always, he always told them in parables. And the context of this parable specifically is about the kingdom of God. Uh, before this one is the parable of the ten virgins. Before that, um, they're talking about when is the kingdom of God coming. And Jesus is telling them nobody knows when the kingdom of God is coming. So that's the context we come into. So we can easily identify a few things. First, we can easily identify the owner is, is representing God. Um, that is usually true in pretty much every parable that Jesus says. But one thing I would say with the three servants is that I would say that they actually represent believers, people that are followers of Jesus, people that are followers of God. Um, I think this, we, this story specifically, we get to see some instances of what are some interesting relationships um, some truths about how we relate to God and how God relates to us. Um, so with all that said, I'm also going to break this down into another story uh, structure, which is called a three-act story structure. Uh, three-act is a very traditional, almost every story can be broken down into three acts. Um, and so with that said, I've broken this story down into three acts, and that's how my three main points, how we're going to go through that. Um, the first point is the master leaves, then we're going to see invest wisely, and lastly, show me the money. Um, so first, let's jump into this. The first act, the master leaves. Uh, verses 14 and 15, if you read along with me in your Bibles, it says, For it will be like a man going on a journey who called his servants and entrusted to them his property. To one he gave five talents, to another two, to another one, to each according to his ability. Then he went away. So act one is, of course, all about setting up the story, right? Act one is when you introduce the characters, you introduce the conflict, you introduce the objective. Um, we've been introduced to our characters. Uh, the objective, obviously, is, got, is this owner has entrusted to them his property and these additional talents. So the objective is they need to do something with that. You know, they need to make sure that it, they don't destroy his property while he goes away. And so the conflict will be, well, what do they do to do that? You know, what, what are they going to have to overcome to be able to keep... Uh, care of what the master has entrusted to them. But with this little setup that we get from Jesus, we learn, I think, two things that I wanted to point out about our relationship with God. First, we see that God trusts us, right? It says it, he entrusted to them his property. Now, for several of you who have pets, 
Um, you probably have experienced this where you want to go on holiday, and then that always brings up the question of, well, what do I do with my pet, right? Uh, last, last week, um, as many of you have seen them, they're sitting right here, my parents have visited, are visiting, and we went to London, so we have two cats. Luckily for us, we have um, a young woman named Q, who is um, me and Rachel's friend and one of Rachel's co-workers uh, living with us. Her, okay, her name isn't Q, it's, I'm not going to try to pronounce it, it's Irish. Um, you can ask Rachel, she's much better at it than me, um, and I'm sure uh, Anya can also help out with, in that department. Um, but Q has been staying with us, because she's in between housing, so it was very convenient for us, because as we were gone, she's just living there, so she took care of the cats. Now, by doing that, it says that we entrusted Q with our property, right? We trust Q that she is, that when we come back, all our stuff's going to be there, that her cats are going to be alive, you know, that we, we, um, she has a key to come in and out of the house, that she's not going to somehow disrespect us or dishonor us with um, how she handles it, right? We've entrusted her with our property, and that's what God has done to us. He's come, and he, he entrusted the servants of his property, which shows how he entrusts us with his property, which answers the begs the question, well, what is God entrusting us with? Well, we get a, a hint of that in 2 Timothy 1.14. It says, By the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, guard the good deposit entrusted to you. Paul, in the Timothys, often writes to Timothy saying, oh, I'm talking about this deposit that he has. And it's always in the context of the gospel, right? When you become saved, the Holy Spirit comes into you, and you actually now have the good news of the kingdom. You are now an heir it says you are an heir with Christ. And as an heir, you are entrusted with the future of the kingdom of God. So each of us are entrusted with the future of the kingdom of God. You just get that when you're saved. Um, it's always, and Paul often uses it in the context of the gospel, of the good news. You're entrusted with that, so make sure that you are sharing it. Make sure that you're living it out. Make sure that you are living a life worthy of holding on to this very precious news that the world needs to hear. So by default, we have that. But then we see that the master doesn't just entrust them with his property, but he goes on and then he gives them some more talents, which brings us to the second uh, truth that I see here, is that God knows what our situation is. Notice that it says, each according to his ability. So remember that these talents are given in addition to being entrusted with his property. So these servants probably already had duties of taking care of the house or taking care of the field or taking care of the livestock. But in addition to all that, he has entrusted them with these additional talents. And it says he did it each according to his ability, which means the master knew which one had the ability to maybe handle more or less. And what that tells me is that God is, this, is the same with us. We're all entrusted with the kingdom of God. We all have that. But he often gives us additional things on top of that. But he knows our situation. He's not going to give you something that's going or give you whatever that is, job opportunities, responsibilities, right? Talents here is very much a metaphor for a lot of different things. But God knows where you're at, and he knows that if he gives you something, it, he's saying you can handle this. He's saying that I know what you are in, already entrusted with, I know what you already have, but I know that you can also handle this on top of that. I also want to point out that in no way does Jesus say that one servant was better than the other servant because one had five or one had one. Um, it was just where they were at. And I think 
they were all equal servants, right? They were all, it wasn't like one's better than the other one. They were just, no, it just, the master came and said, okay, I know you might have only this many responsibilities while I'm gone, so I'm going to give you five. And I know you have this many responsibilities while I'm gone, so I'm going to just give you one. And neither of them are better than the other person. It's not like somehow they're a better servant or more holy. And that's the point I also want to share. Because sometimes we get caught up with looking at somebody and saying, oh, they're doing all this stuff. It seems like that God has given them all these responsibilities or God has given them all these things and they're doing all these things. Why, why can't I do that? But that's not the attitude we should have because God's not asking you to look at what the other people have. God's asking you, just take care of what I've given you. And you're no better or no worse than the other person who has more. So with all that said, how does this all apply to my life? Because right, I started off saying that the parallel talents reflects my life. Well, when I was real young, I think about seven, I was saved. Um, I remember that I was in our family van while waiting for my family to come out of a store. Um, I remember just praying and then just feel like I was little, so I didn't quite understand everything, but I knew at that moment that I was saved. Like, I just, I just had that assurance that comes with that. But being seven, what I understood was that meant that I'm not going to hell. Like, that was, that was my biggest thing, is I knew, okay, I'm going to heaven, I'm not going to hell anymore. Um, oftentimes, there's a joke, we call it fire insurance, right? That, that's what we're saved for, we're, we're, we're just covering that, that possibility. Um, but I also remember that also at seven, that I, the two things I understood was I wasn't going to hell, and that I now got to eat the little crackers that got passed around. I will not tell you that that was actually something that was very important to me, that as, as a seven-year-old, to be able to eat that, and it was a little disappointing when I finally did. Um, <laughs> but, right, that's what I understood, but growing up when I was about, I, I'd say when I was about 14 or 15, is really when the full gospel started to make sense, right? Because it says that when I read through Romans 10 earlier, it says that if you call on Jesus your Lord, if you call Jesus your Lord and ask him for forgiveness, you'll be saved, right? It's not just, Jesus isn't just a savior. He's also the Lord of your life. And it started, that started to click when I was about 14 or 15. And I remember going through high school and starting to really like understand, okay, God, I'm going to, I need you to be Lord of my life in all these areas and all that and starting to really click and like really understand what that meant. And then I went to a Christian uni and while I was at a Christian uni uh, going for uh, my film degree, uh, I started to decide what, you know, starting to think, what do I want to do with the rest of my life? And I started to tell people, oh, I'm going to go work in Hollywood. I'm going to be a missionary to Hollywood. That's what I would say. But really, I wanted to become rich and famous. That was, that was my goal. I was like, okay, God, I, I love you, and I'm going to give you all these parts of my life, but my, my, my want of where I want to go in the future, that's mine. You don't get that. This is mine, right? So I'm going to go, and I'm going to become this rich and famous person, but to everybody else, it's, oh, I'm being a missionary to Hollywood. They need more Christians in Hollywood. You know, they, you know we need to have that. No, that, that was just the nice thing to say on the outside. On the inside, it was totally a selfish and totally ambitious want. And so getting ready to graduate, I remember reflecting on this, that as I was getting ready to graduate, I could see that God had given us, given me a few talents. Uh, two specifically, one is that I had very, I actually had, was really lucky because I had a, opportunities to work after graduating in LA. Uh, my cousin de, uh, is a director. He directs music videos at the time and he's directed a movie since then, but 
I've been able to, I was able to, while in uni, be able to work on a few of his productions. So I was like, oh, I have ins, I start knowing people. Um, so I had opportunities, which is much, which not everybody that was graduating had. I had a leg up on that. Also, another talent I would say I had was at the time I was engaged to a girl who is not Rachel, so that's going to give you a hint of how that goes. Um, all right, but I had this, I was engaged to this girl that I had started dating from high school. We had been together for, I think, like six years at the time. So it was a very long-term relationship. So I had these two things that God had entrusted to me. And so here I am. I'm ready to go into post-uni life. I'm ready to graduate. Um, I have these things, and now I have to figure out what am I going to do with them, right? I am in the position of these servants. They are given these things, and they have to decide what are they going to do with them. And that moves us into Act 2, which is invest wisely, uh, verses 16 through 18. It says this, He who had received the five talents went at once and traded with them, and he made five talents more. So also he who had the two talents made two talents more. But he who had received the one talent went and dug in the ground and hid his master's money. Now, we're at the second part of the story, right? We're at the second act. Now, if the first act is setting up everything, the second act is usually when the heroes go out and actually go do whatever their quest is, right? This is the... Frodo has left the Shire, and he is now traversing Middle-earth to bring the ring over to Mount Doom. This is, that's, that is the second act of a story. Um, so what we see here is that each of our main characters now have, they have the talents, and now they have to decide, what am I going to do with them? Well, we get two very different reactions, as we saw. Uh, two of them, right, go right away, and they start, it doesn't say what they did, but they start investing or working with them. It doesn't matter. Maybe they bought stuff and sold stuff. Whatever they did, they were able to double what they were given. They were able to use what they had and double what they were given. But we also have a third servant. And the third servant says he went out into the ground and hid his master's money. Now, we're going to find out in a little bit that that was out of fear why he did that. Um, but he had decided, you know, the other two decided, well, I'm going to try to use this to make more. He had decided, well, I'm just going to make sure that I don't lose anything. Um, and so that makes, that begs the question, as you're probably asking, is, well, I'm sitting here going out of uni. What did I do? Which servant was I? Well, I was the third servant. I totally took those things and I hid them. I'm going to be, to be brutally honest with you and brutally, brutally honest with myself, because I remember the month after graduating, I moved back home, and I just, I did nothing. I remember watching, like, so much, like, just TV and binge watching all these things and just doing nothing. And I mean, in my mind, I had justifications, right? Oh, I just graduated uni, right? I deserve to have this break. I deserve to take my time or whatever. I, I honestly thought that like those opportunities for work or whatever would just somehow like, oh, they're just going to call me when they need me. They'll just, just let me know and then I'll, everything will be great, right? I just, I don't need to do anything. Um, and of course, as I did nothing, those opportunities never, those people never just called me up. I never called them. I never reached out to say, hey, you know, when's the next project? What can I do? How can I help out? You know, what can I get? I didn't, I mean, I had friends who, after graduating uni, they immediately tried to find jobs. They found apartments, you know, like they tried to find apartments with each other down in LA so that they could get jobs there. I didn't do any of that. I went home and I did nothing. Um, 
also at the same time, so I, I definitely hid that one talent, that talent of opportunity uh, of work. I also hid the talent of the girl that I was in, uh, engaged to because she was one of those students who, after graduating, she did. She found a paid internship. She got an apartment. She started working. She started getting all these opportunities, and I did nothing. And while she was doing that, I also remember that we, I mean, at uni, we spent basically every day together, and now she was living in L.A., and for those who don't know, in California, I, we live about an hour north of L.A., so we're not close necessarily. Like, you know, it's a, it's a drive. But I was not trying to go down this year. I was not really, I would call her up and text her and stuff. But we went from seeing each other every day to seeing each other maybe once or twice a week. And it wasn't, it wasn't like I was, I, I, it wasn't like I was actively doing something and she was somehow avoiding me. No, I was just burying that talent that God had given me. I was taking the easy way, and I was being the third servant. And that brings us to the third act, which is show me the money. Now, in a three-act, before we jump into the verses, in a three-act structure, right, traditionally, if you're going to watch a film, any film, I can pretty much guarantee that almost every film that you will see will work this way. 20 to 30 minutes, it, films are usually two hours, 20 to 30 minutes will be act one. They're setting up the story. The end 20 to 30 minutes will be the third act. They're wrapping up the story. And the biggest chunk of the movie will be the act two, where they're getting from point A to point B. Now, if you want to make a point, usually you will, you will mix that length. And that's true, and that length is true for books. It's true for almost every story that's written out. That's usually traditionally how it breaks down. But obviously, you want to, if you break up how that traditionally works, you get to be able to see, okay, what is the main point of the story? Um, for example, the movie Unbreakable, I don't know if anybody's seen it, but the movie Unbreakable is basically act one for like, it's like a, like a two-hour movie, but for like the first hour and a half is basically act one, and then it has a tiny act two and a tiny act three. But that's because the whole point of the movie is really seeing the setup of this character. That's what the director wanted you to focus on. Um, the reverse of that was, I think many people saw this, was Endgame, right? Avengers Endgame was the wrap-up of all of these movies, so they spent a good chunk of time of the runtime on the third act because they really wanted to make sure that they wrapped up everything that had come before it because that was the main point of the movie, right? That's why people went to see it, is they wanted to see how everything would be wrapped up and how certain stories would come to an end. And here, Jesus does the same thing with his parables. Sometimes... He will give extra details and spend more time in Act 1. Uh, Lazarus and the rich man kind of does this, right? Because most of his stories, he actually doesn't spend that much time in Act 1. He usually just says, here's the characters, here's the thing going on, and then he tries to get like into like what's going on, like we have with this story. But in that one, he actually spends time, he names one of the people, which doesn't happen anywhere else. He gives details about the rich person, he gives details about Lazarus. So obviously he wants you to know that setup for the story. And sometimes he focuses on the second act, like the Good Samaritan. Big part of that is actually, you know, the people walking past the good the person who has fallen, the Good Samaritan taking up the person. It, lots of details are given to that interaction. So Jesus wants you to focus on how did the people act with the person who was robbed at the beginning of the story. But this story, like many parables, Jesus is going to focus on the third act. Um, and the third act, again, wraps up the story, but it also is, importantly, it tells the consequences for what the character's actions were during the story. And so by focusing on the third act, 
and focusing on what are the consequences, Jesus also wants us to focus on, okay, what happened to these servants? What was the end result of their decisions? And so let's start off with verse 19. It just says, now after a long time, the master of those servants came and settled accounts with them. So the master has come back. And I really just want to point out real quick how it says a long time. Because that means that these servants, it wasn't like they were given just like a day to try to go and use what was given to them, right? It says a long time. It's not specified, but it's implied that there is enough time given that the master had every right to expect that they had done something, right? If, if he had gone for like a day and come back, maybe his attitude would be different with how he responds to, these, to his servants, right? Because, oh, they only had a day to do something. But he had given them plenty of time to use the talents that he had given him. Verses 20 to 23 says this, And he who had received the five talents came forward, bringing five talents more, saying, Master, you delivered to me five talents. Here I have made five talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enter into the joy of your master. And he also who had the two talents came forward, saying, Master, you delivered to me two talents. Here I have made two talents more. His master said to him, Well done, good and faithful servant. You have been faithful over a little. I will set you over much. Enjoy, enter into the joy of your master. So the first two servants come forward, and they show, you know, look, Master, you gave me this, I made this, here you go, you know, giving it back. I think that's a key thing, is you notice that the talents that were given to them and the talents that they added on to, they were giving back to the master. You know, they were laying that in front of the master, giving it back to him, not keeping on to it. They're like, oh, thanks for the two talents. I made two talents more. Yeah, look at all my money now. They were like, no, 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 look what I've done for you. They, had the, they were focused on doing that so that the master would be pleased, so that they could basically make the master richer. Um, and they are called good and faithful. But I think the ma- main thing I get out of this, and I think this is one of the most underrated promises in the whole Bible, is that when he says, you have been faithful over a little, I will set you over much. Because you understand what God is saying there is, he's saying that if you are faithful with what he gives you, then he will give you more. Right? Oftentimes people wonder, well, how do I... What do I need to do to get to this thing that I want? I want to be able to go to this place, or I, want, I feel like I need to do this, or why don't I have these responsibilities? But God's, God's giving you a promise right here. He's saying if you focus on what you have, and you're faithful with what you have, he's promising that more will come. Um, he's promis- I hear oftentimes, you know, I have people that they want, they're like, what's God's will? Or like, oh, I need this, or I'm really... I'm really struggling because I really feel like I, need, I want to do this, but it's not happening. And oftentimes the answer to those questions is, well, what, did God, what has God given you right now? Because God will give you those things as long as you're faithful with what God is doing right now, giving you right now. And I think that is often the biggest, for me, that's the greatest promise in Scripture, right? Because sometimes you can feel stuck in a situation and you feel like you should be moving on, but God's saying, you will move on. He will give you, he will get you past that situation as long as you are faithful with what is standing in front of you. But while we have this great promise, we also have 
uh, some great consequences as we see with the third servant. In verses 24 to 25, the third servant comes forward and says this, He also who had received the one talent came forward saying, Master, I knew you to be a hard man, reaping where you did not sow and gathering where you scatter no seed, so I was afraid. And I went and hid your talent in the ground. Here you have what is yours. The third servant didn't want the responsibility because he was afraid. Um, fear kept him from trying to use what God, what the master had given to him. Now, fear is a great tool of the enemy. Um, he loves to use fear to keep us in our place, right? Uh, me and Rachel, uh, as I'll talk about in a second, but me and Rachel, before we came here, we were working at um, me at the international office for SIM, a mission organization we're part with. Rachel was at the USA office. But a lot of times with missionaries and people go, wanting to be in the mission field and talking to people, fear is one of the number one ways that, that Satan keeps people off the mission field. And that could be fear of many different things. That could be fear of loss of family. Um, that could be fear of missing things. That's often true. You know, people are like, well, I don't want to miss this happening in this person's life. Uh, it could be fear of the relatives being put onto the person that wants to go into missions. They want to go do something, but their relatives or their friends or them are giving fear back onto them, and then that makes them fearful. But God doesn't want us to be fearful because we have the Holy Spirit in them. Uh, Joshua 1.9, one of my favorite verses, and one of Rachel's favorite verses, says this, Have I not commanded you? Be strong and courageous. Do not be frightened. Do not be dismayed. For the Lord your God is with you wherever you go. And how true is that? Because if you think about that, Joshua, he's getting, he has the angel of the Lord appears to him and tells him that, but then the angel of the Lord physically disappears, right? And then Joshua has to believe and go, but we actually have God living within us, right? God told Joshua, I'm going to be with you, and Joshua had to trust him the rest of the way. But Joshua, it doesn't say that, you know, before the Holy Spirit, it's not like the Holy Spirit indwelt all of Israel. But we as the church do have the Holy Spirit inside of us. So when it says God will, the Lord your God is with you wherever you go, he really is with you wherever you go. And so whatever you feel called to, whatever God has put in front of you, you can do and not be afraid because he is with you. But the master doesn't uh, take his excuse very likely. He says this in verses 26 to 27. But his master answered him, You wicked and slothful servant, you knew that I reap where I have not sown and gathered where I scattered no seed then you ought to have invested my money with the bankers, and at my coming I should have received what was my own with interest. First thing to notice here is that he calls them wicked and slothful, right? That's the, it's not just wicked, but it's wicked and slothful. And when it comes to serving God, it seems, what, we, what we read here is that God would rather us try and fail than for us to do nothing, right? Um, in Revelation, when talking to one of the churches, he says, you're lukewarm, I'd rather you be hot or cold. I'd rather you be one way or the other, but because you're nothing, I'm going to spit you out of my mouth. And that's what he's saying here. He's like, you just had to go to the bankers, right? And that's the other thing I want to point out. He wasn't expecting him to double. Not, nowhere in here does the master come back, leave, and say, you need to double whatever I give you before I get back, right? He's, not, he's just saying, do something, and he leaves. And when he comes back, that's all he says. He's like, all you, even if you just went to the bank, and just stuck it in the bank, at least I would have had interest when I came back, right? That's, that's basically what he, he did. He hid it in the ground, 
I mean, yeah, it takes maybe a few more steps to go to the bank and deposit it, right? He, he's not expecting you, God's not expecting you to like somehow take his talents and somehow go and save Cardiff all by yourself, right? He's not, he's not going to be like, look, unless you go and I see thousands of people come to Christ through what you've said, you're not going to be a good or faithful servant. He's saying, no, all you had to do was just do something. Even if it was something as simple as just put it somewhere where it's at least going to gain some interest. You know, even that, you're still not having to do much with it. It's just sitting there. But at least do something with what I give you. So we see that because he didn't do anything, we see that ultimately the consequences for his actions in verses 28 to 30. It says, So take the talent from him and give it to him who has the ten talents. For to everyone who has will more be given, and he will have an abundance. But from the one who has not, even what he has will be taken away. And cast the worthless servant into the outer darkness. In that place there will be weeping and gnashing of teeth. So we, uh, we notice two consequences for the third servant for being slothful. First is that he's the loss of the talent, right? He loses the little that he had, he loses. Um, and it's given to the one who had ten. And what this tells me is that God's going to find somebody to do his work, right? God, God doesn't need us. It's something that I, uh, you know, it's like sometimes we get caught up in this fact of like, I'm doing all this stuff for God. Well, that's great that you're doing all this stuff for God. God doesn't need you specifically to do all that stuff, but it's great that he's given you the chance to do that, right? God doesn't need, didn't need me or Rachel to come here, to serve here for this church to be blessed, but we are thankful that he did allow us to come here. Um, and so it also tells me, though, that if you don't, aren't faithful with what God has given you, if you are the person who goes and hides stuff, well, God's going to find somebody else to take that talent and use it. If you don't use it, God will find somebody who does. But we also see another thing is that it's, there's a loss of relationship, right? When we do nothing, we're, they're naturally going to be separated from those who are around us. Because it, it does take effort to fellowship. Um, I know that's a big example here, as Rachel is our scheduler. So she is often the person who's trying to contact people to, like, like oh, we, we need to have... If people say, oh, we should have, like, a lunch or a dinner or whatever, I'm like, go, go talk to Rachel. She'll figure that out. <laughs> I'm bad with schedules. Um, but I can tell you right now, we've had many adventures trying to schedule lunches and dinners with some of you. But... Right? It take because it takes effort, right? It does take effort to get together. It's not like you can just sit there in your house and then just expect people to walk in and be like, Oh, I'm here. I'm here for dinner. Um, you didn't invite me or anything, but I know that you wanted me to come because somehow I could read your mind. Right? It's just right, it takes effort. And right here we see that the servant, because through his fear, not only has he lost he's lost relationship with his master, right? Because he's, the master is now sending him out where there's weeping and gnashing of teeth. So you may have already figured out from talking about this what, has ha what happened to me after I graduated. Um, as it probably doesn't surprise you, those opportunities never just came knocking. I never just got random phone calls and just said, okay, I'm going to do this. Um, uh, and at the same time, after a few months after I uh, after we, we graduated, the, my fiancé broke off the engagement with me, right? All of these 
the talents that God had entrusted with me that I hid, he took away. Eventually, he was like, he, I mean, it was a few months. I don't know how much the long time was in here, but he eventually was like, okay, if you're going to just do nothing, he, I will take these away from you. And that's what he did. But luckily, that's not the end of the story. Luckily, we, are, we serve a God who is a God that responds to those who call out to him, yeah. a God who gives second chances. Amen. We read that all throughout uh, the Old Testament. We see over and over and over and over again. Right? That's the main thing that the prophets especially are saying. They're like, if you just turn, and you just turn and trust God, God will save you. If you just obey God, God will save you. Right? You see that over and over and over again in the Old Testament. And you also see that a lot in the New Testament. Right? If you call out to Jesus, right? Romans 10 said that. If you confess that Jesus is Lord and you ask him to ask him to forgive you, you will be saved. But I think the best combination of those two things of the Old Testament and New Testament is in Romans 10:13 because it's a direct quotation of Joel 2:32. It says for everyone who calls on the name of the Lord will be saved, right? That is that is the message of the Bible. That is both testaments coming together saying Look, it doesn't matter what you've done. It doesn't matter what's happened. If you call on God, he will save. He will respond to you. So after everything had been wiped out, after all my talents had been taken away, um, and eventually I realized what I had done, I finally came and I was that. I, I was that person. I was calling out to God, and he responded. First, it was just a, it was a, a, the talent I would say was I started... Uh, I was offered a full-time job at Grace Chapel, the church that me and Kevin are from. Um, and so I started working there, and I, was, I made sure not to bury my talent that time. I was faithful with what God had given me, and stuff started to add, get, got added on, right? Soon I was um, leading our junior high Sunday school. Soon I was being asked to lead Awana, which is like a program for our little kids, and I was helped leading all the games for Awana. And just more things got added on to that. And as I became faithful with each of these talents, more or different types of talents were given. Um, and finally, uh, I had to be comfortable. There was one talent that had, it, one thing that took a while for me to get comfortable with, which was I had to be comfortable with the fact that I might not ever date or be married to somebody, right? Because that was actually, like, that was a big thing too. Even after my fiance broke it off, I was like, no, I have to figure out a way to get back with her. Or if I'm not with her, I have to find somebody I can be with. Like, I can't be by myself. I've been, been with somebody for so many years. Um, but I had to be okay with that. And so once I was faithful and I was, I was like, okay, okay, God, I'm going to be faithful with this. You've given me this. I'm going to be faithful and be okay with being single. Um, then this girl with red hair showed up <laughs> at our college group. Um, and so that kind of changed. That was a talent that got added on. Um, so... Me and Rachel, we started. We became best friends. Started dating. Got married, right? And God gave us God gave us a talent of each other. Of what are we going to do with each other? And so, before we got married, even we were both interested in missions. Um, specifically, we were we felt called to Japan. So we did best. Okay, God, you're giving us this. You're. We feel called to Japan. Let's be faithful. Let's focus on this. How can we use this talent? Um, so we found a mission agency. We started through the whole process, got accepted, started figuring out, okay, 
okay, what do we need? Like, what are the opportunities there? So naturally, after going through that whole process, we moved from California to South Carolina, which is going from west to east. If you don't realize, Japan is the other way. Um, we went this way. Um, so uh, God, he, we weren't expecting that, but that's where God called us, so we went to South Carolina. And even in South Carolina, we're like, okay, we're going to be here for two years, two years, and then we're going to go to Japan. Well, when we were starting to enter our third year of being in South Carolina, we had to reevaluate some things. And we realized that we weren't actually being faithful with, a talent, with the talent of being in South Carolina that God had given us. So our third year was struggling through that, but we finally got to a point where both me and Rachel were like, okay, it's okay that we're not going to Japan. It's okay if we live in South Carolina for who knows how long. We will be faithful. We will serve here. We started um, leading worship at a small church. Rachel was going to go back to school because we had the opportunity to do that there. We're like, okay, we're being faithful with what God had given us. And then Kevin called. <laughs> and then, so what I, what I want to illustrate with this is that I have lived the life of all of these servants. I have lived the life of the servant who had one who hid something and had his stuff taken away from him and was cast out into where there was weeping and gnashing of teeth. And I can tell you, I, I very much for a period of my life, uh, related to that comment of feeling like I was in that area. But I also have lived the life of the other servants, where when I was given something, I was faithful with what God had given me. And that promise of, you have been faithful with little, now I'll set you over much, has been true throughout my whole life. Uh, every time I've been faithful with something, God has brought something new in. And then I've just been, okay, God, you brought this new thing in, I'm going to be faithful with that. So I just want to say that, that we've been really thankful ever since we've gone here because God is, we, didn't, we never expected to come to Wales. Like I said, we thought we were going to be in Japan by now. Um, uh, if you guys haven't figured out, you guys don't live in Japan. You live in Wales, in Cardiff. But really, every time we've been faithful, something new has been added. And what I like to look here at this church is this church, what I've seen in the I don't know how many months, 10 months or whatever that I've been here, that this church is a church that is trying to be faithful with what God has given it. And so I look forward to see, okay, God, what more are you going to add on? What more is going to happen here? So what? Uh, this is, uh, might sound like a random question to ask, but this is how, if you've been to any of the lessons I've taught, I've asked, I always end my lessons this way. I learned this from one of our pastors back in Grace. So what? The question is, okay, we've heard all this thing, you've said all this stuff, so what? So what's the point? Well, everyone has talents that God has given them. They may be many, and they may be few, but having more or less doesn't make you more or less important in the kingdom of God. God knows your situation. He, doesn't, he will not give you more talents than you can handle. He knows where you're at. And the worst thing you can do is to do nothing. God doesn't expect perfection, but he expects you to do something. So just two questions to leave you guys with. First, what talents has God given you? Because like I said, he's given us all talents, whether it be many or few. There's something there that he's given you. What is that? And second, how are you investing them? What are you doing with them? Let me pray. Dear God, thank you for this day. Thank you so much that you are a God of second chances. Because if God, if you weren't one, I would not be here. 
God, thank you so much for giving us an opportunity again to just hear from your word. God, I pray that as we go from the church today, every day as we live our life, we will think about what it is that you have given to us, what talents do we currently have, whether they be many or few, that we won't focus on other people's talents, but we'll just focus on the ones that you have given us, and that we won't be people that just hide them. We won't be people that just bury them. We won't be people that light a lamp and then somehow sticks it under a basket. But that what you've given us, we will use. That we will be faithful to do and be faithful to serve. We love you, God. In your name, amen.